This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. So we're going to pick up today by looking at who the Holy Spirit is as our convictor. We know that he's our helper. We looked at that last week. Today, and the key point I want to make is this. The Holy Spirit is our convictor, and he wants to point us to Jesus. Here's what John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11 says, and this will be kind of our primary text for this morning. John says this in chapter 16, And when he comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Verse 9, concerning sin, because they, the world, do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you, my disciples, will no longer see me. And verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So, here's what we see in this text. Three things. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of all matters concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Did he say judgment? Yes, I did. And we're going to get into it a little bit this morning. Today, I want to help us. I believe the Holy Spirit is here, and he wants to help us in understanding how he actually wants to do this in and through our life and in the world around us. And I believe it's probably one of the most beneficial activities, or we could say things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. He brings conviction. And as a convictor, he's pointing us to something. He's not pointing us inwardly to focus on ourselves or feel sorry for ourselves. He's actually wanting to reveal Jesus. He's wanting to point us to who Jesus is and that we would experience him in greater fullness. So, number one, let's begin with this issue of sin. Concerning the matter of sin, the Holy Spirit comes to show us our need for a Savior. I'll say it again. Concerning the matter of sin, the Holy Spirit comes to show us our need for a savior. It says this in verse nine, he will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. I believe it's because of our sin and sin essentially is that thing that separates us from being in a right relationship with God. It's because of sin that actually Jesus came in the first place. He came to repair and to bridge that great divide, that gap that stood between us and God because of our own sin, because of the ways in which we miss the mark, because of our rebellion, because of the ways in which we turn our back, and because of our idolatry, because of our ability and proclivity and propensity to make gods out of other things. Jesus came to help us with this issue. And because of his great love for us, because the Father loves you and loves me with such an unconditional furious love, because of that love, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 illustrates this. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet in this condition of sinning and rebelling and turning to idols, Christ came as a man, as God wrapped in flesh, and he died for us. And the Holy Spirit comes to continue the work of illuminating or revealing our need for Jesus our need to believe in him, our need to behold him, our need of a savior. And it's precisely because the world doesn't believe, because people don't believe, that the Holy Spirit comes to be our convictor. He comes and he works on our hearts. He he opens us up to see not only the error of our ways, but to see and behold our great need for Jesus. It's not enough for you to just know that you're a sinner 
if you don't know the one who saves you from your sins. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts the world, and that would include all of us at some point, and he tells us and he shows us our need for Jesus. He points us to Jesus. And this is important because before the Holy Spirit can do anything else in your life, he wants to help you come to terms with this reality, and that is your own depravity, your own sinfulness. And the truth is, being convicted of your sin is actually a good thing. It's actually a great thing. To go through life and have a heart that's hardened toward God, that's resistant to coming to terms with and being honest about your own sinful condition, that's called pride. And pride is destructive. Pride is dangerous. In fact, the scriptures say that he gives grace to the humble, but he actually resists the proud. And I don't know about you, but the very last thing that I want is the creator of the universe resisting me. I'll take all the grace I can get. Yes, please, and thank you. And so the Holy Spirit comes to convict us, and he brings this gift of conviction to show us our need for Jesus, to show us that our sins are not something that should hold us back from having a relationship with our loving Father. And the truth is, we don't really like to talk about sin a whole lot in the church anymore. But to know that we live in a day and age where it's uncomfortable to use the word sin or to talk about sin, the world is actually very uncomfortable with that word. It doesn't like that word at all. But we have to be afraid to talk about these things. The word sin actually means this. It's simply missing the mark. It's a term that comes from, from archery. When an archer would sin, he would miss the target. All right. So if you're pulling back your arrow and you let it go and you miss the bullseye, you've sinned. And sin is essentially that. It's missing the target. It's missing the mark. It's aiming to do something and then failing at it. And if we're all willing to be honest, I think all of us aim and fail. Romans 3, verse 23 says this, For all have sinned, all have missed the mark, and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, God and his glory and his perfection and his holiness is the target. God made us in his image to reflect his likeness. And so we know that as fallen human beings, as those with sin in our lives, that we have missed the mark. We've missed the target. And the truth says that we've all done this. So the good news is we're all in the same boat together. And the Holy Spirit comes and he points this out, but he doesn't point it out so that, like I said, we feel sorry for ourselves or be caught in our shame and our guilt, but he points it out to show us the solution, to show us the remedy. And his name is Jesus. And I love that the Holy Spirit doesn't come to condemn. He comes to convict, but he doesn't come to condemn. Why is that? Because Jesus has already taken our condemnation on that cross. He's already lived out the death sentence on our behalf. The wages of sin, Romans also tells us, is death. For every act of sin, whether it's willful, whether it's by omission or commission, whether it's rebellion or idolatry, whether it's iniquity or, or anything else that is wicked in nature, every act of that sin requires death because it's less than eternal. It's less than God's glory. It's less than what he designed us to live in and walk in. That's why today we are transient beings. We fall apart. We pass away from the earth. It's less than what he established for us. And as a result, Jesus comes to help us with this problem, to not only point it out, but to show us what he did in being the remedy and being the solution for us. Jesus comes where we miss the mark, 
he struck it perfectly. He is the one that never misses the mark. He's the one that comes and he triumphs over sin. He triumphs over it so that we can also triumph, so that we can walk in life and have freedom and have victory in Christ Jesus. Praise God. What a savior we have. Amen? And so the Holy Spirit concerning the matter of sin shows us our need for a savior, and that's a gift. It's a good thing. And there are times in our life, and maybe it's at the start of your faith walk, or maybe it's 10, 20 years in, that the Holy Spirit will come and he'll say, hey, I want to deal with this issue. By the grace of God, we say, yes, please help us. And he comes into our life to help us and to convict us to show us what we can then do about it, which leads us into number two today. Concerning the matter of righteousness, the Holy Spirit shows us who we now are in Christ Jesus. And I love this. Verse nine, he will convict the world. Concerning righteousness, here's Jesus's words, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Jesus, knowing our great need, knowing that his physical absence would actually leave us feeling alone, perhaps even scared. We know the disciples were pretty freaked out after Jesus left. And so he sends the Holy Spirit, he sends them an ever-present helper, an ever-abiding friend, so that we can come to know who we truly are in Christ. And I want to camp out here just for a few moments today, because I feel like within the church, there's a kind of tug of war going on right now. And the tug of war, if I could illustrate it for you, is this. It's between having a sin consciousness or a righteousness awareness. For those of you that are on Facebook, you know this. I asked this question this week. I said, for all my believing friends, would you say that you are more sin conscious or righteousness aware? And some said sin conscious. And some said righteousness aware. And some said both. (laughs) And I love all the variety of responses I got today. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna camp out here for a little bit because I wanna illustrate what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help us with. I believe this. The Holy Spirit wants us to know who we are on the other side of the cross. And we have a tendency sometimes within the church to read the scriptures on this side of the cross, meaning before we were in Christ, before we had a new identity in him. But what happens is a lot of us, when we come to Christ, we keep reading the Old Testament scriptures through the lens of the Old Testament. And you know what it says? It says the prophets and all of the kings and everyone that came before Jesus longed, they they longed for what we now have. So what do we have I mean, it begs the question, what do we have this side of the cross, this side of being in Christ, this side of having the Holy Spirit? For some of you, I believe God wants to set you free because you've been living the same way you did before you found Jesus and you're living the same way after. And I believe that there is a markation. There is a a change, a transformation. Titus talks about a regeneration that should occur within our hearts that leads us into a new reality. Now, I want to make a couple caveats. We are still human. We still have what Paul says, this body of death, right, that we're praying for the redemption of, that's falling apart. But he says, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day, meaning we're coming more alive in Christ, even though the body is falling apart. Can I get an amen from any of our 50-year-olders? Amen. We're coming more alive in Christ Jesus, though the outward is falling apart. So what does that mean? It means that we still have a flesh. We still have a body. We still have these these tendencies and proclivities that we have to come to terms with. But spiritually speaking, the way that Christ sees us now and the way that we truly are now is different. 
And so I want to talk about this a little bit. I want to kind of unpack this for us. I believe this. The Holy Spirit wants to help and remind us of who we are in Christ by not just convicting us of our sin, but by convicting us of our righteousness. Do you see the verse, verse 9, if we can put it up there? He will convict the world of all matters concerning sin. But then he goes on to qualify concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. That's directed to the disciples. He says, because you won't see me anymore, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, but wants to lead us into righteousness. Because, and here's the bold statement I want to make, for those of you in Christ, you now are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, in the ESV it says this, for our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now I looked it up in the Greek. The word become there literally means to move from one state of being to a new state of being. Some of you are like, well, I don't really feel very righteous. That's okay. But it doesn't change the reality of what God now says about you because of what Jesus has done and accomplished on his cross. And the Holy Spirit comes into our life to help us to know this reality, to be convicted. I would say the word convinced of this reality. Some of you are not very convinced that you're righteous because you're still making mistakes and you're still seeing yourself on this side of the cross. But under the blood of Jesus, Hebrews tells us that Jesus has made a new and living way, has once and for all made a sacrifice and atonement for sin by his own blood. So Jesus already dealt with your sin problem. I don't know about you guys, but that gets me so excited. Because if I were to try to deal with my sin problem, I would be stuck. I would be in trouble, guys. I don't have the fortitude or the ability or the intelligence to deal with my own sin. And neither do you. And that's why Jesus came in the first place. Because God the Father knew that there was nothing that we could do to deal with our sin problem. You know, Luther, years ago, Martin Luther, one of the early reformers, he wrestled with this. He would pound his fist and agonize for weeks and months and hours on end over how God's grace and how the blood of Jesus could actually deal with all of his sin. And he came to the conclusion that it has to go deeper than what he thinks. It has to deal with even the stuff that we don't even know we're doing that's missing the mark, right? Even if I try and I get up in the morning and you get up in the morning and you do your best, right, to not sin, chances are you're probably gonna still sin. Chances are someone's gonna cut you off and you're gonna lift up your holy finger pointing to Jesus. See what I did there? That's not the finger some of y'all use, I know. I got flipped off by one of y'all. I'm not going to say who it was, but (laughs) just kidding. Maybe it's not your middle finger. Okay, maybe it's you getting angry. Maybe it's you just having a moment, you know. Whatever it is, you can try your best. 
and you can do everything you can, but chances are there's gonna be stuff that even you do that you don't even know about. Like being married, come on, you married couples. Have you ever like found your spouse just kind of like upset with you and you didn't know why? Okay, you committed a sin of omission. (laughs) You didn't know about it, but you did something that really ticked off your spouse, right? And you need the blood of Jesus for that. You need the grace of God for even the stuff that you don't know that you're doing, just as much as the stuff that you do intentionally. Now, obviously, John would say, those of us that have the truth, we don't go on willfully sinning. That's not the point. The point isn't to abuse the grace of God. It's not a license to sin. Paul talks about this in Romans Right, So we don't go on willfully sinning, but there's going to be stuff that we do just by omission. We go through life doing it the best we know how, but we know that we're going to miss the mark. We're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Because we have a more perfect Savior, the Lamb of God, who came to do what? John says, the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. Did Jesus miss the mark? Were there any sins that he didn't take away? Was there anything under the blood that wasn't dealt with or propitiated or cared for or atoned? As far as I'm concerned, when I read the New Testament, what Jesus did was complete, was finished, was final, was accomplished, was victorious, was everything that needed to be done to take care of our sin problem. Yes. And as a result, I believe that it's time for the church to start moving in righteousness. In moving and understanding identity, understanding who we now really are. When I look at you, I don't see sinners saved by grace. I see saints. I see people that were sinners who were saved by grace, but now have a completely different position before God, have a completely different identity in Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes to help us know that, to convince us of that. Even when we screw up, there's times where I'm like, man, I really missed the mark on that one. And God says, you're still my righteousness. And what my son did for you has already taken care of that. Guys, that is the good news. It's better than we know. I'll be honest, it's much better than we know. And so I believe this, the Holy Spirit wants to help us with our righteousness. The Holy Spirit confirms our desire to identify with Jesus. That's another key point I wanna make today. And I just wanna pause here for a moment because I believe that many of us, we feel frustrated at times because we're not where we wanna be because we've been focusing on all the wrong things rather than focusing on our righteousness in Christ. Some of you are like, this sounds like fiction. No, it's, it's greater than fiction. Sounds like a fantasy. No, it's greater than fantasy. This sounds like it's too good to be true. No, it's actually better than that. Who I really am now has been purchased, has been adopted, has been ransomed, has been redeemed, has been chosen, has been anointed, has been set apart, has been transformed, has been renewed, has been declared the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. That's who you are. If you hear nothing else today, take that. Because that'll change your life. It'll change the way that you view your relationship with God. We make mistakes, and then what do we do? We hide, right? I hope, I hope God doesn't see me behind this wall. I hope God doesn't see me behind, you know, this makeup. I hope God doesn't see me behind this mask. You know, I'm going to just go on pretending. You know, I'm not going to let anybody know about what's really going on in my life, because heaven forbid they find out that I'm human. <laughs> And we play these games with God. We play these games with each other because we think that we need to go on keeping appearances. 
And here was Jesus' number one criticism. It wasn't to the lost, it wasn't to the broken, it wasn't to the poor, it wasn't to the hurting, it wasn't to those that knew that they needed a savior. It was to the religious pretenders. Jesus calls them mask wearers. The word is hypocrite. Hypocrite in the Greek is a term from Greek drama where actors would come out on a stage. If it was a drama or it was a, a tragedy, they'd put on a sad face. And if it was a comedy, they'd put on a happy face. You guys have probably seen those two masks, the sad mask, the happy mask. And actors would wear these masks. Back then, obviously, they didn't have special effects. They didn't have all the makeup and all the you know, stuff that we have today. And so they would put on these masks to play the part, to try to put on a front for the audience. And they would do so as performers. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you hypocrites, you mask wearers. Why don't you deal with the inside of your cup first? Why don't you clean the inside of that before you try to pretend that everything on the outside is all put together and looking good? He says, you guys love acting. And you know who Jesus was drawn to? He was drawn to the people that knew they were broken, that knew they were messed up, that knew that they needed a savior, that knew that they had sins a mile wide and a mile deep, probably a thousand miles wide and a thousand miles deep, right, if we're being honest. And Jesus said, no, 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 to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, he says, where are all your accusers now? I don't see them. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He addressed the sin issue, but he set her free to be something entirely else. And all those that came out to stone her, all the pretenders, right? All the actors with their masks are like, let's take her down. Let's end this woman's life. And Jesus says, you without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. And one by one, wouldn't you know it? All the mask wearers, they just started dropping them and they took off. When Jesus confronts sin, you can either say, yep, cleanse me, or you can say, I'm out of here. You can resist and you can go on pretending all you like. But God sees through it. He sees through the facade, he sees through the act. And as a result, he comes and he says, I wanna change you from the inside out. I wanna give you a righteousness that you can't buy. I wanna transform the way you think so that the way you begin to act is influenced by what you now believe about who you are because of my beautiful beloved son and what he did. When they thrust nails through his flesh, speared him in the side and spit on him and mocked him and ridiculed him, when the world came and just threw up all over him, did all that so that I could take you, lift you up out of your sin, out of your shame, out of your guilt, out of your condemnation, out of the accusations that have been waged against you by the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, and give you a new life in me. And that new life is now marked by the breath. We talked about it last week. The Ruach HaKodesh, the wind of God, the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on us. He goes, Whoo. and he does so, so that we can begin to know this reality the struggle we have isn't with trying to modify our behavior to sin less. The struggle we have is we haven't really believed that we're righteous. And as a result, we're still focused on our sin and our shame and our worry and our anxiety and our frustration and all the things that go wrong versus focusing on who Jesus now says we are in him and what he's actually done for us. They say this, for those of you that ever battled an addiction, the way to actually cure yourself of that addiction is to not focus on it because what you continue to focus on and resist will continue to persist. Rick Warren says that. But it's to actually begin to focus on something new 
and something life-giving. And as you begin to develop those habits and you begin to lean into that rhythm, now all of a sudden you're moving to the rhythms of righteousness. You're moving to the rhythms of Sabbath and rest and love and your identity in Christ and his righteousness. And you're beginning to behold him. And as you behold Jesus and you just worship Jesus and you see the goodness of Jesus, he begins to transform your life. That's how it happens, guys. It doesn't happen by you trying to come against it with force and grit. I'm just gonna grit my teeth and we're gonna get through it. It doesn't happen that way. And it's the same for, I believe, every area of our life. In Christ Jesus, we are a new creation, but we have to believe it. And for some of us, we haven't believed it yet. We still believe that we're sinners. And as a result, you're gonna keep on sinning. You're gonna keep on living in that rut. Addictions, they say like, create these ruts in your brain, in your neurological pathways, right? They become trenches. For those of you that have experience with this, those that do a lot of drugs, creates this trench. And, and so it's easy to fall into that because that rut and that thing is so big. And so what God wants to do in us is he, he says, come to me and I'm gonna give you a new identity in me and I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna show you how to walk this out and I'm gonna recalibrate your heart. We're gonna start with that. That's the most important part. And then out of that, you're going to begin to develop new habits and new behaviors and new thoughts about who you are. And what's going to happen is that's going to become your pathway. That's going to become the trench that you live out of. And what happens is you begin to walk in that. You begin to live in that. And it becomes your reality so much so that what he actually says about you actually becomes the truth about you. And it's no longer you just walking by faith. It's now your reality. It starts with little steps. And the Holy Spirit comes and he starts to remind us. So he comes and he confirms this. And he, he starts to root us in this reality. He wants us to identify and to know our righteousness. And so I want to ask you today, are you more sin conscious or are you more righteousness aware? And if you're more sin conscious, maybe the challenge to you this week, your homework, is to begin to write out what God says about you. And my challenge to you would be to just start in the New Testament and work your way to the back. Just listen to what God says about you. And begin to allow those thoughts to wash over you. If you have to write them down on your phone and set a reminder, do that. If you want to put it up on a vision board or on your mirror or you keep a journal, those are all great practical ways, guys, to live this out. A big part of yielding to the life of the Spirit is learning to become more righteousness aware. And I think this is exactly where the Holy Spirit wants to help us as the church. And so he comes concerning the matter of sin comes to show us our need for a savior. He comes concerning the matter of righteousness. He comes to show us who we now are in Christ. And number three today, concerning the matter of judgment, he actually shows us who's already been judged. Verse nine, he will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. We know that the ruler of the world and this present darkness is Satan, Satan, the accuser, the adversary, the devil. He has a lot of different names. And the good news is Jesus has openly triumphed over the devil by way of his cross and his resurrection. As a result, the devil's been defeated. He's been openly judged and found wanting. And like a good triumphant king, Jesus wants us to know this reality for ourselves. He wants you and I to be able to celebrate everything that he's accomplished by way of his cross on our behalf because Jesus is our victory. There is no hope apart from Christ. There is no freedom apart from Christ. There is no victory apart from Christ. Jesus and Jesus alone is our victory. There's a teaching within the ancient church called Christus Victor. 
And it means this. It's Latin for Christ is our victor. And the purpose of this teaching was to reveal to the saints of all ages that Christ, by way of his cross, has triumphed. And I believe the Holy Spirit continues the work of this, of helping us to know that Christ is our victor. And as a result, he affirms, the Holy Spirit affirms our future in reigning with Christ. In reigning and ruling with Christ Jesus. He comes to reveal Christ's victorious work to us so that it can be forever cemented in us as we walk through life who the conquering, reigning, ruling king truly is. And it's not the devil, although he tried to get Jesus to bow to him. He said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just worship me. And Jesus resisted and he said, you'll worship the Lord your God. Where man stumbled and fell and said, okay, I'll worship, Jesus conquered so that you and I can go through life, not just on the other side of eternity, but now, knowing his rule and reign, having the kingdom of God within our hearts, The kingdom of God is simply just the rule and reign of Jesus. It's his dynamic rule and reign that's broken into the present age, into this age, not just the age to come, although that's true, but also in this age, here and now, so that you and I can walk through life ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus. And that's good news. Here's the promise. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It says this, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they, the church, the saints, here's the good news, you and I will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, and I believe this. I believe that as the church, we get to participate in the life of Christ today and then. So whether the thousand years is literal or figurative, present or future, either way, the truth is this. We belong with Jesus. We belong with Jesus. We belong to Jesus. And whether you join him spiritually in his resurrection now like we were singing about, we would do that through what we call baptism, where we enter into his death, where we go down into the water, and then we enter into his resurrection life by coming out, identifying with the life of Christ. So whether you do that now, or whether you join him physically in bodily resurrection when he returns, the thing that matters most is that you join him. It's that you and I join him. It's the work of the Holy Spirit leading us to this, to come to Christ, to be made alive in Christ, like Ephesians says, Ephesians 2, to be made the righteousness of God in Christ, to belong to Christ, to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Unfortunately, for those that don't look to Jesus for their righteousness, they will join the same fate of the one who's already been judged. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 says this, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We know that the lake of fire, or hell as it's sometimes referred to, is the second death. And it was originally created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for man. It was created for those that rebelled against God in the heavenlies. But for those that reject the lamb, for those that reject what Jesus came to do on and for their behalf, There is no other hope. There is no other way. And as a result, they'll be placed there too. For those that reject Christ, they've rejected the judgment that Jesus has already taken upon himself. 
And as a result, they too stand judged already. Here's what John chapter three, verse 18 says. It says it this way. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Christ, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Church, it's for this primary reason that I believe the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin and its ruler of its rightful judgment. And I wanna say this, God doesn't want you to experience that judgment. He doesn't want you to experience the fate of the enemy and the devil. He wants you to know the everlasting life of his beautiful son and King Jesus. And that's why he sends the Holy Spirit out. That's why he sends the Holy Spirit out in the world to begin with, because he loves the world. John 3.16 tells us he so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but know, have, enter into everlasting eternal life. And he didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. He didn't send the Holy Spirit in the world to condemn it. He sent the Holy Spirit in the world to show us our great need to show us the great future that awaits us in Christ and to remind us of the one who's already been judged. Thank you for listening today. To find out more information about our church, including ways you can give, please visit us at courageouschurch.com.